Come gather round, people, wherever you roam, and admit that the waters around you have grown, and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. If your time to you is worth saving. Then you better start swimming, or you'll sink like a stone. For the times they are changing. Hey, everybody! It's Aaron and Jim back with another commission podcast for Bald Move. This time, we're going to be talking about 2009's The Watchmen. 2009, that recent. I wouldn't have guessed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, directed hmm. by... Actually, it's just Watchmen. Directed by Zack Snyder. Okay. It's based on the classic graphic novel uh, by Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be an interesting podcast. Before we get to that, uh, Andrew Mount commissioned this podcast. He's a two-time commissioner. Uh, start off with Star Wars, another really awesome film mm-hmm. that we were just giddy about watching. I was super excited about this. I owned this on Blu-ray, and it looked looks tasty. Looks tasty in high def. Yeah, looks real good. Saw this for the first time on IMAX. I actually saw this twice at the theater, at least. I might have gone and seen it at the cheap shows, too. But mm-hmm. owned on Blu-ray, I've probably seen it five or six times total, not counting this one. Uh, my personal history with the project... Uh, is uh, that I've seen... I, I read this uh, back in high school, The, the mm-hmm. Watchmen by Alan Moore, mm-hmm. and I haven't read it since um, because I, I'm a, I'm a visual whore when it comes to comics, and I found the artist for that series, whose name escapes me at the moment, um, kind of pedestrian, kind of flat in his, his animation style, very old huh. school, which I think was a deliberate choice. Okay. He was really trying to channel like the Silver Age types, you know, Golden Age and Silver Age type stories. Yep. Um, but it, it kind of came across as a bland effect. And I was a callow teenager and, and I liked uh, my Jim Lee's All right. uh, artwork. So, sure. so then I saw the, the film and I've also since then, they've released another, I think, 12 part series uh, where they went into the backstories and kind of. What are they up to now of the Watchmen that I think hmm. was maybe Dark Horse, maybe Image, maybe DC published these. But all that stuff kind of runs together in my head. Is that all written by Alan Moore no. as well? No. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, no. And I'm sure he's furious about the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alan Moore does not like this film. Alan Moore does not like his works to be reinterpreted by Hollywood. Um, he's a curmudgeon. <laughs> uh, he, he's like a Richard Stallman. Mm-hmm. In uh, since they both have long hair and a bushy beard and anti-establishment ideas and maniacal control over their creative works. So mm-hmm. uh, that's my history with The Watchmen, and that's my way of saying that some of this stuff might blend together. I might say stuff that's not from the movie but from the original or might from the the follow-up series. I don't know. Jim, what's your experience? I will be spoiled by none of that because uh, I have only ever seen this movie. And I've okay. only ever seen it once, aside from today. All right. Today was my second viewing. Uh, the first time I watched it, I recall thinking, uh, that was a good movie, but I I wasn't super aware, I guess, of all the questions that it was asking and the issues that it was raising uh, within the movie. And so I didn't give it kind of the respect that it's due. After having watched it the second time, I am much more intrigued by those questions. I think this is a great film in the way, same way like The Matrix was great. 
yeah. because it's very entertaining, has just mm-hmm. a great visual flair. Some awesome action. Some great action, really good acting work, some really yeah. tight plotting. Like this movie really holds up to scrutinization of uh-huh. its plot and its concepts. Sure. And you think that, well, maybe they cheated here and there, but then you watch it again. It's like, no, it, it holds together fairly well. Mm-hmm. And it also has you thinking about more than just a movie. Like when we were watching it, we were having open debates and had to pause the movie a few times uh, on yeah. what what it what would it be like to be a godlike figure? Mm-hmm. You know, w- what kind of detachment would you have to humanity? Uh, what is the problem with the world and humanity? And what would it? Yeah, Th- this is the best kind of superhero movie. This is why I don't care for shit like the Avengers and Spider Man. It yeah. doesn't ask any of these questions, and it doesn't. It doesn't pretend like it's going to either. Yeah, there's there's room in, you know, the the movie pantheon for stuff like the Avengers, sure, uh, which are just action movies. That's fine, but I really dig these bigger movies with bigger ideas that that encourage the audience to ask questions, even if they don't provide the answers within the film. Sure. I don't think that's their job. It's just to get people thinking. And, and you know, superheroes are fertile ground for that. Yeah. T- taking a, a little bit of society and tweaking it one way or another and saying, how would that affect us? What do you think of... Uh, what do you think of Zack Snyder in particular? Uh, he did X-Men 2, didn't he? That was a piece of shit. No, 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 no. So here's his filmography. <laughs> he did Dawn of the Dead, the remake, 2004 remake. Okay, I like that movie a lot. 300. Eh. Get, I'm taking it or leave it on that. So 300 was very visually interesting. Yeah, but that's balls it. to the wall action, some offensive stuff, and a lot of just almost self parody. It's it's excess. Yeah, some excess. Watchmen we think is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did in Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahoople, which I have no idea what the hell that even is. Uh, 2011 Sucker Punch, a movie that I think sucks. The worst. The worst. I don't remember much about it, but I remember hating it. This is the worst excesses of Zack Snyder uh, chained to a ludicrous plot that makes no sense. It's it's the opposite of The Watchmen. The more you watch it, the more the film falls apart yeah, on analysis. Okay. And it does not invite critical thinking. You just want to shut your brain off and try to enjoy its fairly shallow charms. Uh-huh. Don't like Sucker Punch, Jim. Nope. 2013 Man of Steel. Eh. It's okay. I thought it was ter- it was a terrible wrong-headed adaptation of the Superman mythos. Really? Everything wrong. I mean, I think that DC is destined except for maybe Batman to get its ass kicked by Marvel mm-hmm. because its characters just are a lot more one note and a little wonkier and then the, the the Marvel's more realistic and and humorous and more joyful take. Um mm-hmm. But I thought that movie was terrible. And again, it's it's Zack Snyder's ac- excess hmm. chained to a plot that's fairly good at just, you know, a dark and depressing take on Superman. Yeah, here it very very much felt like he is just recreating this comic book. He doesn't have any creative input into this thing. And he's coming into Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice next year, which I have no real yeah. hope or optimism for. Is that for. the Ben Affleck Batman? Yeah. Okay. Well, he he will be the Batman of it, but I think Batman might have a other Batman coming out before then because DC is trying oh. desperately to get this whole. They want the Justice League. They, they want to crank up the Marvel machine. And I just Good don't luck. think I think it's not going to work. But 
No, um, it's great. Like you need Christopher Nolan behind that shit, right? Like let Christopher Nolan plot out your entire right. series of movies, and then maybe you got something. Well, that's the thing because I feel like uh, Zack Snyder succeeds where he has a firm narrative blueprint, and to, he does here to make sure that he can't go overboard in excess. Yeah. Um, or when it, he does, it, it supports the story. Like a lot of, there's a lot of really gonzo violence and even sex in this film. Uh-huh. But it's all pertinent to the plot or to the mood that he's trying to generate or to the themes he's trying to, because these are all things that were in the original Alan Moore book. Yeah. So I, I hate to praise, I hate to praise Zach too much for this film <laughs> um, or give him too credit for how great the shots the the shot selection because he used this graphic novel as a essentially a storyboard and if you go there's websites that will show frame after frame of something in the comic something expressed on film yeah at the same time i don't want to say Zack snyder has nothing to do with the success of this film i think you know it is a beautiful film uh it is like more beautiful than the comic yeah according to your own admission yeah like yes the shot selection is there and the way the story is told visually uh is is all there Mm -hmm. but you know again i said the art was kind of flat and dull and boring uh this this film is beautiful yeah and the color and the darkness and like just just the scene of uh adrian throwing the comedian Oh, yeah. uh, through that plate glass window in the beginning is just beautiful and high def. Yeah, and I mean he owes some of that to the comic, but he uh, he you know he probably owes a lot of that to his DP and like sure, but he has a hand in that certainly. Um, and and you know it can be done wrong. I feel like The Hobbit is a perfect example of what can be done wrong when you give a, a director source material and just say go for it. Sure. Uh, so I don't want to take too much away from Zack Snyder. Um. But the opening was brilliant. It, it kind of, it's one of those things where, and one of my favorite types of movies is the ones where they give you the how and the what, which is traditionally what you're we're, we're trying to figure out. No, normally we know why. We know the villain yeah. did something, but we can't prove it, and all this, and we 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 don't know the how and the what. It's it's kind of like the same thing um, for Memento, where they show you the how and the what, but the real puzzle is the why. And I thought that the investigation into the comedian's death and what it means and how it leads up to the climax is really interesting. And it invites a smart, inquisitive movie fan to kind of solve the mystery alongside Night Owl and Rorschach. Yeah, this movie does not encourage passive watching. This movie encourages you to actively think about what's going on on the screen, and it does so, you know, by raising bigger questions. But also, like you said, the tight plotting really encourages a second watch and really paying attention because there was so much stuff in here that I didn't get the first time through. And there's things I pick up. I'm I'm gonna. There's a couple things I I picked up on this watch, but I feel like every single one. Like uh, two times ago, I picked up the fact that the night owl when he's in the brilliant credit sequence. Mm-hmm. where they're playing um, Bob Dylan's Times Are Changing, and they're showing kind of Forrest Gump style, these classic bits of Americana. Um, uh-huh. You know, college protests, they're showing the V-Day celebrations in New York City, and uh, the landing on the moon, and the Kennedy assassination, but they're putting the Watchmen in these sequences. Yeah. Um, there's a elaborate Batman joke 
talking <laughs> about the uh, blending the night owl and the night owl too. So if you if you uh, the first time we see the night owl, he's got a a a goon in a headlock and he's shooting a gun and he's outside this opera house and there's two wealthy there's this wealthy older couple coming out and you know the guy's wearing like you know top hat and spats and tails and the girls in his uh, uh, opera gown with with pearls and it says Flatermouse, which is the German Batman play <laughs> and the implication to me is that this guy was like Joe Chill. And he would have killed this this wealthy couple, but Night Owl saved them, which tr- you'd think would prevent Batman from being created. Yeah. But one of the be- kind of behind the scenes, and I can't remember which comic, if it was in the original or if it's in the, the later series, you find out that Night Owl was inspired to be, the Night Owl 2 is inspired to be Night Owl because his father... His hero. Yeah, his father is a wealthy guy, and but didn't think his son, who's kind of nerdy and, and pudgy and and uh, didn't get along with people it was a disappointment so he idolized the stories of the night owl and became him it's it's a weird reverse batman origin yeah it strikes me as kind of like you know every nerd who's ever read a comic book and wants to be that character mm, right uh that sort of thing and the other brilliant thing about the intro is it blends these big moments um you know like world scenes from world war Two and and the moon landing with very intimate like you know Stuff that you won't understand the first time, like yeah. the kid that's the, you've later found out is Rorschach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, watching his mom get railed by a line of guys. Uh, um, I'm trying to think of some of the other more intimate stories are in here. Scenes of, uh, I think they show the first Silk Spectre argument with her husband, which we find out the significance later on. Yeah. But it's another great way to show kind of the. You know, this could be 20 minutes of exposition in the film, and it's cut down to this very entertaining credit sequence and about 30 seconds of reminiscing with the new Night Owl and the old Night Owl yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. setting us up. And that's all we need, and I just can't say enough good about it. Yeah, it only leaves you confused for a few moments during the beginning as sure. it's kind of showing you these these visually interesting things. Uh, that's fine by me. Yeah, how how all these things came about. Yeah. And where we're at now, why are, you know, there are no heroes except for Rorschach out on the streets mm-hmm. and how that all came about. I thought it was super interesting. Mm-hmm. What do you think about Rorschach? It, Rorschach's an interesting character because a lot of people would say that's like fan favorite, right? Probably, yeah. He's got the coolest lines. He does the coolest stuff. He's narrating the film. I mean, it's kind of his film in a way. It is kind of his, his friend, story. Friend. His yeah. story is what the the bones of the movie are, are hung on. Mm-hmm. But he's also a very repellent character. Oh yeah, he has a terrible worldview. <laughs> it's uh-huh. misogynist. It's homophobic. Uh-huh. It's anti-intellectual. It's one based on fear and despair. But I don't. I mean, but it's undeniably cool. Well, he also has a certain sense of ethics that I think a lot of people subscribe to, right? I mean, at the end, he, you know, he's unwilling to go along with the idea, unlike everyone else, who just says, okay, we killed, a bunch of people were killed. Uh, We could tell everyone about this, but we're not going to because the end result was okay. Right. He's the only one who puts up a fight against that. Uh, So he has some warped sense of ethics beyond what the rest of this group has, you know? The I'm not even sure if they're necessarily because, justify the means. Because, you know, in the Matrix... Uh, yeah, well, that's... Well, you that's have essentially thing. the same situation. Is it better to go along with a pleasant lie 
uh-huh. that raises people's quality of life or is it better for people to go into hell with their eyes wide open? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, arguably Adrian Veidt is cre- is is practicing eugenics on a species scale. Like instead of you know creating the perfect baby, not a by genetically yeah, not mani- a manipulating, eugenics. he's creating a perfect or a more perfect civilization of peace and harmony by manipulating our fears and tribalism against ourselves. So that's a super interesting thing, right? Like if he doesn't step in, things are going to be altered regardless by events. Events yes. are things that alter the nature and course of humanity Arguably on their own. A, nu- a worldwide nuclear war that exterminates most life on the planet is in the balance. Yes. So is it worse that someone steps in and says, okay, I'm going to limit the destructive potential of this situation and cause us to come out better on the other side, uh, is is that wrong of him to do? And that's a question that the movie asks, and that I think you're supposed to think about, even if maybe you don't have the answer. Yeah. It's supposed to just encourage you to to dig inside yourself and see how you feel about it. I think one of the things is, you know, it, it's basically where you come down to uh, how humans process things. And the best way for them to process things. Well, I'm, I'm trying, I'm struggling to formulate this into a concept. Sure. I find it very, one of the things, because I subscribe to a lot of stuff that Dr. Manhattan says about life being meaningless and the difference in, in the, like we could disappear and the universe wouldn't care. Mm-hmm. And the logical outcome of that is a kind of a nihilistic worldview. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I talked about the same thing when we talk about true detective. Like I subscribe, I totally believe like Russ at his darkest ramblings. I like that's right on. Okay. Same thing with Dr. Manhattan. But it's awfully gloomy. But one of the reasons I'm so <laughs> optimistic is the simple fact that we as a civilization, as a globe, have had the power in our hands to destroy this planet for something like 60 years. Mm-hmm. I don't mean destroy the planet in like you know, the girl, but destroy humanity. Yeah. And we haven't. Mm-hmm. And we've come damn close a bunch of different times. Some we know about, I'm sure a lot more that we don't. And it's, 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 it's a little too early to stop knocking on wood, but that's kind of amazing that you have this capability. Mm-hmm. And we as fearful tribal creatures have not resorted to it thus far. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's because of the consequences, right? So one way to look at this is Adrian, Adrian Veidt mm. uh, did not trust humanity enough for them to navigate another fragile piece. And maybe if yeah, we yeah. had and come eyeball to eyeball and blinked just like you know the Cuban Missile Crisis and just like so many other times before. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, maybe that's one of the stories. Um, you know, The United States in this alternate timeline won the Vietnam War because Dr. Manhattan... <laughs> Was an unstoppable killing. <laughs> yeah, machine. it was basically Apocalypse Now plus Doctor Manhattan plus rolling into the rice paddy field. The rice Doctor Manhattan you know. and his ten foot penis yeah. vaporizing Viet Cong. Uh, and maybe part of the movie is like maybe that shouldn't have happened. The fact that the United States won that war and became more and more powerful made the global political situation worse. Sure, potentially. So Adrian killing all these people was is really short-circuiting what should have happened, which is us kind of coming to the abyss and as a species, you know, decide, nope, we don't want to go there and turning back. Sure, and that's, you know, the there's also the question of if he had not used whatever fictional tachyon fantasy pulse he was doing to block Dr. Manhattan's view of the future, maybe Dr. Manhattan could have just stopped this stuff and solved it all. 
you know, in a in a much less harmful way. Sure, I mean, like he saying... took it upon himself to change things, whereas things may not a have needed to be changed, or right. b could have been changed in a way where less people were harmed had he not done what he did. So it's like there's a question of you know, does stepping in even make sense? Yeah, it's the same kind of uncomfortable questions you think of when you talk about eugenics, like who decides what is sure. perfect, who decides what's good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, what if our imperfections and, and some of these bumps and warts are what we need to uh, truly advance as a species? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that's, I think that kind of stuff is, is fascinating. It is. It's super fascinating. Now, the first time I saw this movie, I was intrigued enough to go look at the comic and see. Uh, I didn't read the whole thing, but I was like, oh, I hear that the comic ends very differently. You're not going to talk about the ending yet because I kind of want to save that for you the ending. You want to save ending. that? I was going to go to that, yeah. Okay, let's save that for the ending because okay. I think that's that's the one thing that I've identified that we truly disagree about. Okay. Uh, let's talk about then Dr. Manhattan. And his powers. And the, yeah, and just the about implications him. of his his capabilities. Okay. what At one part in the film... Vite or Vate says uh, he's asked if John can stop all the missiles if they launched, and he said something like, "There's sixty thousand some warheads, and even if he stopped ninety nine percent, that's still enough to exterminate the planet." I see no evidence that Doctor Manhattan could not, in fact, stop every warhead. Yeah, he I'm seems like there's very little he can't do, but some things it doesn't occur to him to do. Yeah, and, and it makes me question like what his mental capabilities are. Is is he how how superhuman is he in his mental faculties? He's superhuman enough that he can do a complex thing like assembling a futuristic some fusion free energy reactor while fucking his girlfriend. Yeah. While monitoring various other events. But it seems like that's with the help of super smart Adrian. Or is his name Adrian? Yeah, uh, Adrian Veit. 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 Okay. Uh, it seems like that's with super smart Adrian's help. Is is Adrian the mental force behind Doctor Manhattan? I I cl- it's clear that Doctor Manhattan has some kind of mental capabilities to allow him to do complex things at the same time. I think just being in two places at once and and the things that he demonstrates show a mental capacity that I was just thinking like what it what it must be like for him to have these conversations like he says i've seen things that are so fast and so tiny that you can't even say that they've occurred mm-hmm. like he could probably watch every neuron in your brain fire but he's waiting for you to finish flapping your meat lips for something that he's probably <laughs> yeah, come yeah. up with an answer with you know he's very patient <laughs> yeah he's gotta be but is he or is that just something that's driving him slowly insane or, or or causing him to lose touch with whatever remains of his humanity. Or does any humanity remain? Yeah, I think that's a something that they are definitely trying to touch on too. Um, you know, eventually love becomes the thing that brings him back. And it in all of these movies, love is the the savior of humanity. There is no other force that saves humanity faster than love. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's a horrible bleak outlook. Oh, but love will prevail, and that's no different here. I think you know the 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 questions that they ask are kind of answered in Dr. Manhattan's character by the the author of the comic who's basically saying that humanity's love will conquer our differences and mm. our problems i don't i don't know because there's so many different ways you can interpret so much of this and you know Dr. Manhattan's a fairly dark character he's like a cross between 
Matthew McConaughey and Interstellar with Matthew McConaughey and True Detective. <laughs> oh my God! He's got what this, about Rain of Fire? Is he's there got any this of that Matthew McConaughey in there. <laughs> just the one that constantly takes off his shirt. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's that's channeling the McConaughey sure. from Rain of Fire. But he's always talking about how you <laughs> the can't. The one who shows up naked at his door with bongos when the cops call. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I'm super. I'm I'm trying to understand his concept of being able to see his whole past and whole future. And and him yeah. knowing that his girlfriend is going to leave him and fuck another dude with him still being able to be hurt when he f- finds out about it. Yeah, so I have questions about, you know, how that affects the timeline. If you know that something is going to happen, can you change it? Or is it because you can see the future that something happens? It's kind of like you get target fixation. Like, you know, they say they always talk about that in motorcycling, that... If you're, you know, going too fast for a corner and you see that you're going to hit a light pole, don't look at the light pole. Look away from the light pole and you know, to where you want to go rather than where you're afraid of going because, you know, we tend to steer towards the things we're looking at on a subconscious basis. Okay. Also, th- I wonder if another way to look at this is, like, you can be told what it's like to watch your first child be born – and you can intellectually understand what it's like to bury your parents or bury your child. Mm-hmm. But until it actually happens to you, it's divorced from the emotional payload. So if Dr. Manhattan is just being out of time to can see things like my girlfriend's going to be unfaithful to me or she's going to leave me, but he just knows that intellectually, the human part of him has to then go forward in the time they actually experience the emotional payload of that. Does that explain the discontinuity between how he sees the world, and how he interacts with it? Uh, I don't know, because he seems surprisingly ambivalent toward whatever fate he can see. You know, the, the, I, what I assume he sees is up to a certain point where, you know, the, uh, Adrian starts to tacky on thing, and he can't see past that. And he has to assume that some the, the devastating event that stopped that uh, his vision is nuclear explosions, right? Hmm. Like I, and I would think he would do anything he could to change that, but he seems surprisingly ambivalent toward the whole thing. Like he's going to let events play out, or at least not try to interfere with events, whether or not he can. But he's like this man who's existing at all points in time simultaneously. Like he, you know, he's the man who first fell in love with his sweetheart, and he's the man who mm-hmm. was very candid about watching her age and how that felt, and and starting up this relationship with this young woman. And like, if if you see the universe as being dead matter and live matter are pretty much the same thing, he's already had these experiences. If they go away in the future, he's still got them in the past. Yeah, yeah. Like it's this really weird, unsentimental way to look at it. In fact, sure. Roger Ebert had an interesting take in one of his blogs because he he was fascinated in a similar way to us with this movie. And he had this good point where, well, he said, the more I watch the movie, the more I'm less convinced that, you know, Dr. Manhattan's air in the gold uh, speech where he's like, you know, your, your mother Mm. who was raped by, or almost raped, uh, attempted raped by the comedian. She had some weird fixation with him and had a one night stand with him. And you, out of all the millions of sperm, and egg combinations, you are the ones assembled. He's like, that's not like I love you particularly, other than it's him finding, falling in love with the concept of life and its unpredictability and its beautifulness, hmm. not in her 
individuality, but in the concept of life itself. Yeah, and he says later, you taught me the value of life. Ex- and then he, yeah. his response was not, I want to continue shacking up with you, your, your limited three, four-dimensional being. It's, I, I want to go. I want to save humanity. I want, no, I want to <laughs> go and create my own life. Oh, yeah. Create I'm taking life, off. Yeah. So it's like it's caught, taught in a weird way. It's like the moral of the story is he taught – she taught him the ability for him to stop worrying and just enter his godhood. Just become – go ahead and just become yeah. God. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You don't have to yeah. – you can let go of your detach, attachment to humanity fully. No, and that's the thing I never understood about you know why Dr. Manhattan would do things such – like with his mentality, do things such as like put on a suit to preserve people's sense of – like sensibilities or – lower his gamma on his skin so people aren't offended by how bright he is like that sort of shit which a god wouldn't really necessarily care about but he even says like instead of going around to like the universe and just exploring the vast regions of space and creating anything he wants like he could take all the planets and kind of put them together and put us on them and let us kind of roam around on them sure if he really wanted to help us but yeah he was pretty distant from for most of the movie (laughs) but it's one of those things where it's it's he's intellectually aware the entire time that he's being manipulated and forged into a weapon. Is he? I thought he I was only so, aware of that at the end. No, I mean, he, but that's the thing. If if his ability is to be kind of like see his past and future in this clear way up until the tachyon event. See. Yeah, he couldn't see that. But that doesn't include the part where he's shipped over to Vietnam to explode people bodily. No. I mean, he could see all that. Yeah, yeah. And he could see, I suppose, the comedian uh, killing his the, the, the woman in, in Vietnam that he, he impregnated, which yeah. seemed to horrify Dr. Manhattan. But like as the comedian, and that's the the brilliant part of movies. I was like, "Hey, wait a minute!" And the comedian is just right there with me, saying, "You know, you're a fucking hypocrite. You could have stopped me. Uh-huh. You could have made that gun disappear. You could have made the gun, the bullet disappear. You could have done whatever, and you chose not to." But it's yeah. one of those questions where, once you're a character like Doctor Manhattan, at what point do you, when things start going the way you don't like it, do you just change it? <laughs> you, do you give it's like kind of like that's the big question in the movie very small at what point do you try to talk the comedian out of the decision so he can make that choice and what point do you just make things happen i feel like that is that is one of those questions that you don't know until you're in the situation right like how would you react if uh if a mugger had a gun to your girlfriend's head and and was ready to kill her like how how would you react sure would you shy away and be scared or would you jump into action and take him down like you just don't know until you're in that situation and this is like that to the nth degree See, right i think it's interesting because in this something you and i argue a lot about but i don't really have a problem with the concept of a god existing uh-huh this is not a scientific thought but this is like it would not surprise me if there was some intelligence behind the universe and behind creation like if there was evidence i wouldn't be like oh uh, it would make sense <laughs> I'm just thinking uh-huh. of a being with the powers of Dr. Manhattan that's been around for trillions of years, potentially. Mm-hmm. Like, what would that intelligence look and feel like? Why would, would something like that create life and then just sit back and watch and, maybe, and be kind of paralyzed within inaction? Maybe it's not even watching. Maybe it's just, you know, like an old project you've 
you started and then forget about right and and it just falls by the wayside and you don't care about it anymore right it's on the workbench yeah it's like oh oh yeah I did, I did that done. human thing 500 billion years the, ago the interesting I, part was over like in the first six days i i you know i need to finish it but what the hell yeah or like or or like he has a timer set to check it later on like like a millisecond later he's gonna check it which is like 500 billion years in our universe or whatever yeah like that that concept of god I really like. I his, think is interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. I really like his line where he says, "I'm. I don't believe that there's a god, but if there is, I'm nothing like him. Mm. Uh, nothing like the Judeo. I think he's talking about Judeo Christian God. Well, and I think he might be talking. Point. Yeah, and I think he might. He he could also be talking in a broader sense. You know, I mean, this is a guy who was created from a physical event who has the power to control physical things, if there is some sort of God beyond that, he is still far less powerful by those standards. Why does Dr. Manhattan explode people? Like, we were talking about that. It's one thing if you're on a <laughs> battlefield. Yeah, yeah. But it's another, like, if you're just fighting crime, uh-huh. you could take those gangsters and teleport them into jail. Or on Mars, wherever you want. But he just... Full body explode. He, he could, detonates. So he, he can just even... sever their spinal cord. He can make their uh, brain yeah. flash to steam. But he he seems to execute people in the most <laughs> horrific way you possibly can. It's obviously for effect. Uh, I mean, he but he, you can't at the dis- end of it has guts hanging from the ceilings. Like he he detonates their skin and like <laughs> most of their bones, but he will not detonate their guts, which I mean, he sends flying. It's painless. Like, I don't believe for a second that that would hurt. It's not painless for the people watching. No. I will tell you that. It's horrifying. (laughs) And I guess if you're trying to compel the Viet Cong to surrender, that's... That's one thing, uh, you know, man. But yeah, in a bar fight, or when you're trying to execute a friend, and a uh-huh. colleague at the end. <laughs> well, they had to make you know the Rorschach in the snow. You can't just yeah, the Blood Angel. Yeah, sure, to... sure. But I'm, what I'm saying is, yes, that's a stylistic choice. But you can't run away from what that does to Doctor Manhattan as a character. Yeah, it's not fair to question the consequences of the actions of the characters of the movie without questioning that. But I think that's funny because. It's like it just it, it still works as it's further evidence of Doctor Manhattan not giving a fuck. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm just gonna kill you the first thing that comes to my mind, and it happens to be full body explosion, <laughs> and I'm gonna stick with that method of execution, uh-huh. <laughs> no matter what circumstance. Yeah, it is. no, that's great. Um, what do you think about the comedian character? And this guy, the comedian is a despicable human being mm-hmm. but and he's got this really um kind of gross view of the world that it's you know and and that's one of the interesting things in a movie where it they goes, have the keen act and there's rioting on the streets and the police uh have gone on strike and there's just wanton crime and violence and they the masks that they call themselves know that they're going to be outlawed soon but in the meantime we're society's only protection, which is true. Um, the Night Owl wants to do good. The comedian just wants to go out there and inflict pain and suffering because he thinks that's what people yeah. need to stay in line. But why then does he get upset when he finds out Adrian Veidt's plan? Like, he assassinated uh, John Kennedy for uh-huh. some reason of real politic, I'm sure. Uh, I, I, it seems out of character with him that he would be, and they, and they lampshade at some, at some point with him when he's crying to his arch nemesis, Moloch, 
Um, and he's saying, you know, it's war's one thing, but this is like I don't understand why this is beyond the pale for him. It, um, it seems weird. It doesn't fit in his character. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. It's a big joke, right? This is a joke writ large. He should be all over that. You would think so. Yeah. Is he getting soft in his old I'm, age? I'm with the comedian. I'm drawn to the Big Lebowski line. You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. Like, I don't find myself like saying that he's wrong about human nature because um, he has a very bleak outlook on human nature. Like we're animals just destroying ourselves and yeah. what's the point of it? Um, and I don't necessarily think I disagree, but I don't agree either. You know, it's like, well, you're kind of an asshole for saying these things and acting on these things when so many other people are trying to be altruistic and be good and and preserve humanity. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, maybe he's right. Maybe humanity is destined to destroy itself. Maybe we are just beasts with those tendencies. I mean, I th- does he believe that because it flatters his own self? I mean, he's the he's a guy who well, it gives him license to do a lot of horrible shit. Right. Yeah. Right. But I don't feel like the movie is sympathetic to that worldview. God knows I'm not. No, he's, he's and a I mean, psychopath. If you look at like Rorschach with you know the guy that he kills because you know the guy killed the little girl, killed this dog. Sure. I mean that uh, a lot of that plays into the philosophy of the comedian as well, like mm. that we are the dogs or the little girls, and that none of this really matters. Whereas Rorschach doesn't see it that way, even though he's kind of twisted up in his own ways. It's interesting because you know Rorschach's this broken guy, and he came from his family. I mean, his mom when he's a little boy, it's kind of a uh, a Dick Whitman upbringing that yeah, you yeah. know he needs his his physical needs met. And his emotional needs met, and his mother instead slaps him in the face and says, "I wish I had that abortion." That's rough. Uh, there's been a lot of fan analysis and speculation on whether one of Rorschach's problems is he's also a deeply closeted gay man. Oh, why do they say that? Like, I don't know all the... the evidence. I think there's a little bit showing of an attraction um, in the film, like and especially when uh, he uh, he he's. At the end, this is the one that always sticks out in my mind when he's like turning his back on Night Owl for the last time and saying no compromise. They kind of have this, uh, you know, we the, the problems of two people don't amount to a hill of beans in this world kind of moment. Casablanca, it's almost like lovers parting moments. But it's it's all huh. subtext in the film. I guess it's yeah. more avert, avert in the comics. But I read that comic oh, as okay. a fundamentalist Christian teenager, so <laughs> you blocked that out. Like I was just talking with Tom and Kelly on uh, the Lawrence of Arabia podcast that I was completely unaware in my early twenties that the subtext of Lawrence Arabia was Lawrence is gay. Huh. But it screams like I couldn't uh-huh. like watching that now. I'm like Jesus Christ! I can't believe that went over my head. Huh. So I I have no idea. But yeah, I think I, I haven't read the comics. So. It's interesting you take like some of these, um, you know, televangelists or some of these uh, conservative politicians that rail against, you know, fornication and homosexuality, and then you find out, you know, they've they've internalized the self hatred so much that they campaign and crusade against the yeah. very thing that is their weakness, uh-huh. and you take that and then give it a superhero origin story and there's something (laughs) very fascinating about seeing that kind of internal hatred um manifested in an external uh, vendetta yeah yeah i i really like you know the the conflict between you know what people are at their core and what people want to be 
um, that struggle. You know, I mean, Rorschach, that's that's his entire philosophy. Like, he views the mask as his true self. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the people showing you their their skin faces are actually them lying to you and not uh, not showing you them true their true selves. Well, in in, in a way, disguising Ro- their true nature. Rorschach's uh, connection with humanity is just as tenuous as uh, Doctor Manhattan. Oh yeah, no, that's how he views all of society. Yeah, Rorschach's like society like, itself is that. Like I'm fighting against the darkness, but I know the darkness is going to win, uh-huh. and one day I'm going to look above it all and be able to say I'm not going to save you when you uh-huh. finally want me to. <laughs> that's a really, that's, that's dark, a really man. dark worldview to have. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. What? <laughs> what's your take on humanity? Are you pro humanity oh, or anti humanity? You know, we've come an awful long way, and from what I can tell, everything seems to be heading in the right direction, um, you know, from a societal standpoint. Like, yeah, there's a lot of things wrong with society, but, I mean, shit, this isn't ancient Rome. This isn't, like, there was a lot more shit that was way more fucked up back then. We're broadly headed in a direction that gives me hope. I'm bullish, because I've yet, humanity has gone down to the mat. Many mm-hmm. times we've had worldwide plagues, we've had worldwide wars, we've had c- gross climate change, yeah, uh, all these existential threats, and every single time we have not, we've gotten off the mat and kept on fighting. So I feel like yeah. that we as mankind will figure out some way by technology or whatever to to continue to master and to prosper. Yeah, I feel like there's a distinction you have to make also between, like, the species and the society. Sure. Like, society is very slow to learn lessons, if at all, and they uh-huh. forget them very quickly. Right. Uh, and so that kind of worries me a little bit. Like, we get enough years out from the world wars, enough years out from our mistakes, and we say, uh, we forget those mistakes. Yeah. And we forget the lessons that we learned. So as our technology advances and it becomes easier and easier for us to potentially destroy ourselves like stuff with stuff with nukes uh that gets scarier yeah not learning and remembering those lessons huh i thought but at the same time i like i'm kind of a sucker for that that hook where it's like oh humanity is at its core good and love will see us through and all this shit you know it's it's kind of bullshit on the surface but i i think it's mostly right well, I thought Veidt had an interesting point where he's like, you know, most wars about fear and not having enough. And if you could mm-hmm. provide enough to everyone, then you'd make war obsolete. And sometimes that's like, his goal. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's probably our path to utopia is we invent free and cheap energy. Mm-hmm. Wait, maybe it's maybe it's, uh, you know, space based solar power. Maybe it's fusion cars that run on McDonald's fry grease, that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, but I feel like that that's. And we'll always have reasons to fight because we also have this tribalism. But eventually, you'll you'll eliminate the reasons one by one. Mm-hmm. And it's it's weird how it's another thing I've been listening to this Dan Carlin Countdown Armageddon podcast talking about World War One. Yeah, and how, I wish everyone was as smart as that guy. <laughs> yeah, and how really <laughs> how really senseless and accomplished nothing World War One did except for set the stage for World War Two. Mm-hmm. But paradoxically, the more terrible war got. This seems like uh, we're a little bit unwilling to, uh, less willing to engage in. In fact, since yeah. World War II, we've really only engaged in 
small limited wars with countries that couldn't effectively fight back. That's true. So we learned the lesson not to fight world powers. <laughs> Is that what we learned? But that's, Pick on the little but guy? But now that's becoming, as we're evolving society, that's falling out of fashion too. Sure. So like you just continue to do this iterative process. Like mankind is a uh, uh, what, what a rapid development project. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a paired programming, two-chair, whatever. Um, and <laughs> every iteration gets closer and closer to things being yeah, better. That's, that's how I feel. And absent, like, an asteroid smacking us or some bullshit like that, some sucker punch, uh, <laughs> that we're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah, I could buy that. All right. Metaphysics in the middle of the Watchmen podcast. Yep. What else we want to talk about? I want to talk about the ending. I desperately want to talk about the ending, but you want to wait. I, Are I'm we not, at the end yet? I don't think we're at the end yet. Is um, Dr. Manhattan a god? We talked about that. What uh, did you think? Um, I I I got to say I'm pro Silk Spectre one when uh, Lori went okay. over to her mom and she's drinking margaritas at two p.m. and she's like, "Mother, that's disgusting." Uh huh. Fuck you, Lori. Well, like because you podcast for a living. No, and I we mean frequently do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's what I'm saying. Like I feel like everyone, if they're retired, didn't have kids, everyone given the choice mm-hmm. is going to have be some version of drunk or high all the time. I plan on being that. <laughs> Right? Like, you got to keep it... That's the Unless, difference between... Like, what else do you do? Is that what you're saying? I mean, that's, 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 that's the difference between being, like, an addict and a functioning member is, like, knowing that that's the good life. Well, if I've learned And you anything, have to do a certain amount of taking care of yourself to prolong your health to maximize the good life. But yeah, hell yeah. yeah, have a margarita at 2 o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> if you can get away with it. There's nothing wrong with that. No, I'm with you. I I don't see a problem with drinking. You know, I keep a glass of whiskey next to my bed so that when I wake up in the morning, <laughs> <laughs> that's how you get out of yeah. bed. No, I let's just, I let's just call a spade a spade. Perpetual hangover. Um, we talked about the um comedian and his character. Um, I thought it was brilliant. A lot, so many structural elements, starting with like the Doctor Manhattan interview, where you see him. Uh, you know, as Lori's left and she's going to Dan, and they keep intercut intercutting the Dr. Manhattan, him getting ready and, and getting dressed and teleporting to the studio with this thing going on with Dan and Lori. And then the culmination of Veidt's, Veidt's plan to drive um, Dr. Manhattan away from humanity by falsely revealing all these friends and family that have cancer. Uh-huh. I think that is such a great way. And then immediately following back with the Dr. Manhattan origin story. Yeah. Which I think is, um, a great commentary on Superman too. Oh, like, sure. Yeah. There's lots of really interesting essays on the internet written about how Superman has to be some kind of psycho. Like every hour he spends mm-hmm. in a daily planet typing up some bullshit story to protect his cover as Clint Clark Clint. Wait, Clark Kent. <laughs> he can hear babies dying in other yeah. countries. <laughs> screams bouncing around in his head. When when he's out flirting with Lois R- Lane, he can hear you know women being gunned down in the Sudan. Like, but here's the other thing. There, and there's he, there's limitless. He has no limit in what he could stop, except for he's only one person that could be in one part of the, depending on which version of Superman you subscribe to. I subscribe to the version of Superman which can fly around the Earth and turn back time. And that takes away all of his excuses, right? Like, he can go back, and I think he can literally stop every bad thing that has ever happened. So Superman is just psychotic. He just doesn't care enough to do it, yeah, is he, the problem. <laughs> like, in real life, Superman would be like the evil Superman from Superman 3. 
Yeah, pretty much. He would just have this dingy Draw costume. Draw his fingernails. He'd be electric. Yeah. No, no, no. You're the, you, you went past. You went, oh, you went to Superman, Superman 4? 4. Oh, God. The quest for peace, man. Okay. You never go full Superman <laughs> Oh, 4. you're talking about the one he fights in the junkyard. Yeah. yeah the alter ego Superman. Yeah, the Superman that punches holes in oil wells right. and you know t- uh, straightens up the Leaning Tower of Pisa and kicks over the pyramids or whatever else he does. Yeah, that's a real dick move, straightening up that tower. <laughs> <laughs> Just think of the tourism, man. I know. Think of the He's tourism. He's doomed everyone in that city to a horrible, pov- impoverished fate. Uh, my other question. So out of this group of superheroes, mm-hmm. th- this is a problem with superheroes. If you are in a superhero group and you are the least powerful of those superheroes, how do you feel? Like, sure. Like, this if is you're a- Aquaman. Yeah, this is the problem with Superman being in the Justice League and and teaming up with Batman. Yeah, yeah, Batman's a master tactician. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, he's he's smart, but he's not a god. And if you've got a Doctor Manhattan in your group, does he need the rest of you? And let's say, okay, maybe he does need some of you. But if you're the least powerful in the group, like I would argue, maybe Night Owl is. Sure. How does that make you feel? Like, do you just feel inferior in every place you go to? You with must. Your group? You must. Like, you're ready to jump into the action, but the fast guy already beat me to it. Right. Like, what am I going to do here? What's my time to shine? I'm, I'm going to talk yeah. to this fish. That's going to be my I time have, to shine. I guess it's my car. Like, yeah. let me help with this caper, or I'm I mean, not driving you home. I, one question I have is, what the hell does Dr. Manhattan need with, say, 100,000 U.S. Marines in Vietnam? He doesn't need them. He yeah. can just stride the country like a colossus. Uh, you, he could just blink everyone into a POW camp. Or he could full-body explosion like 10% of the population and have them, the rest of them worship him. He could do whatever he wants if they go to that country. But he's flanked by a bunch of Hueys and the comedian <laughs> shooting his pistol from the yeah, door gun. because that's doing a hell, hell of a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah. I think that's one thing that movie definitely asks you to ponder. Oh, yeah. No, it does. Another thing the movie asks you to ponder is when Dr. Manhattan is hovering above the f- surface of Mars, sitting... Indian style from the back, mm-hmm. you should definitely be seeing some blue balls and peen hang down from there, right? Sure. You should be seeing sure. some mistletoe. Yeah, and they take, you know, great care to show his rod several times throughout this episode. Did, did I tell movie. you that I was talking and to... And they show, they, like, animate his dangling balls swinging back and forth as yeah, he walks. Yeah, there's, there's like, dick jiggle modeled. Th- yeah, they've got those models. I don't know why they didn't use them there. Um... So there's two responses to that. I heard at a contemporary. Wait, there's a lot. Why of, is there even one response to that? Is what I want to know. There's a lot of dudes on my Facebook feed. I remember uh, being like, "Watchmen's a great movie, but I could have done without the six foot peen." Really? Why do Why do you care? Re- that you it bothers you such that you have to tell the world that you're uncomfortable seeing a giant blue penis. You're the dude that makes. Dr. Manhattan put a suit on before he comes yeah, man. to dinner. Come on. It's a penis. Yeah. It's a penis. You can't celebrate boobs and then be offended that there's a blue, yeah. a, a six-foot blue penis in the film. That's yeah. one reaction. The other one that blew my mind that happened in the last three months. I thought it was with you. You're denying it. I never said this. I, I would never say this. just recently had a conversation with someone in The Watchmen. It might have been Cecily. It might have been someone I met in a bar in Albuquerque. But we were talking about The Watchmen, and I we were, I made a joke about the blue penis. Mm-hmm. And they got a puzzled look in their face and like, what are you talking about, blue penis? How can you watch this film and not <laughs> it's have... It's more than I remember. And it's front and center. 
Like it's center yeah. frame, center shot. They in a lot of it a, a good like fifteen to twenty times. Yeah. The movie. Like have an opinion about the penis one way or another, but don't deny its existence. <laughs> Don't be you a, can't shut your eyes. Don't be a close your ears and go la la la. A penithist was an eighth a penis. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they were watching a version an of the movie penis. that had it removed. Is that possible? Like How did Netflix you... go through and remove this shit? No, no way. Like blur it out. There's no way you can have the Watchmen on like ABC Family. No, not no. I'm talking like Netflix because Netflix takes boobs out of Breaking Bad. But it also has a lot of boobs in Netflix. Netflix is That's weird. True. Net- yeah, so, I don't understand Netflix. Yeah, it turns out I think Netflix uh, got the license to see the originally aired version of Breaking Bad, or the officially aired version, or the um, uh, the syndicated version. And I guess it had because okay. the problem with the pilot of Breaking Bad, other than it had boobs and some other stuff, is it was like a full hour. It's fifty eight minutes long. Gotcha. They had to cut that down to forty seven minutes. Um, but no, I, I don't think so. I don't think mm, it's possible okay. to see a version of The Watchmen with the penis removed. It seems like the best it could do would be blur it. And I'd love to know who... I wish I knew who I had that conversation with because I just blew... It blew my mind. It still blows my mind. You can tell. Yeah. Um, what also... I love that Dr. Manhattan's mansion that the Department of Defense set him up with, uh, him and Lori, had a ping pong table room uh-huh. with artificial grass. I would hate to play ping pong against Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> That seems pointless. When he, he'd have six arms, Where's there'd the be at Where's least the three ball? of oh, them. It's behind you. And there's just you just you're just mesmerized by the helicoptering dick as he goes from <laughs> side to side of the table. You yeah, he doesn't even need to hit the, need to hit the ball. He can just <laughs> you forfeit the match. Yeah. You forfeit the match when you're playing against that. It was you a got cool sixteen room, arms, three dicks, six balls, <laughs> and three Manhattans. What are you going to do? <laughs> it's just forfeit. Oh man. Uh, I also thought it was really interesting. I I tried to freeze frame the map of the United States that they paint over a couple times when they're doing their Watchmen. When they're burning it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a label south of the U.S. border that said illegal immigration as one of the problems that they're trying to tackle. And it pans up the cannon. There's another similar size on the north side of the border. What is the threat from Canada? Foie gras. (laughs) (laughs) Maple syrup. Yeah, I don't know. Amer- illegal immigration. Uh, it's uh, too many Americans trying to get to the country to access free health care. Yeah, I I don't know. <laughs> um, what do you think about the way this film and many others portray the concept of mutual assured destruction? Uh, what do you mean? What do I think about it? Well, I they think always... it'd be great to take those war room scenes and cut them with Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> make some weird shit happen. That's what I'm talking about. So you, every one of these war room scenes, we've seen it in 13 days. Uh, behind the scene accounts of like real life things, but it seems like it always comes down to like a room full of people that are saying we should push the button. We should obviously push the button. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? We push the button. And there's always some fairly courageous person that just against all advice they're uh, being given, economically, socially, militarily, I'm not going to push that button. And that turns out to be the correct course. Yeah, I feel is that how we've been for 60 years? There's just been one lone guy that's like, nope, I can't push that button. <laughs> Are all the people urging him to push the button, knowing that only doing so because they know that they themselves wouldn't push the button? Hmm. Uh, I I don't know. Every everything I've consumed about politics and such tells me that that is not the case. That you know that there there are advisors on every side of the issue, uh, kind of 
telling people in charge what they think they should do and those opinions are by design almost always differing Mm. Um, you surround yourself with people with opposing viewpoints to get all of the viewpoints uh, now, I don't know if all presidents or important people and companies and stuff do that, but that seems like a smart way to do it, and it seems like the way that it's portrayed a lot in media. Like, I, uh, these war room scenes, I've seen so few of them. I've seen only a few, a handful. The The other way seems to be, like, you know, the, the more, like, TV show style thing where you've got one guy saying one thing, another saying another, and this guy's stuck between them. Yeah. I don't know. That stuff. It seems a crazy way to exist as a civilization. Yeah, I just have no idea how the actual advising of, like, a president works. Mm -hmm. Like, Like, I know he sits down and has briefings, but I don't know what the viewpoints are. Like, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, how close did we really get to blowing the world up? If you go by the movies, really damn close. Like, if the Russians kept coming through that blockade, Kennedy pushes the button? That's what they make it sound like, yeah. I mean, it never got to that point he, because it's like down? The, 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 the Cuban Missile Crisis ended at the last provocation. But uh-huh. who knows if that was the really the last provocation? Because it's not like the yeah. Russians actually – we were just trying to keep them from putting more nukes in Cuba. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Like how – what does that – how does that actually go when you've got the, literally the fate of the world in your hands? Well, you, you go find uh, Dr. Falcon – or or whatever his name is, on an island, uh, and you ask him about Joshua, <laughs> and you stop the whole thing. You play a game of tic-tac-toe, you show him that it's inevitable. And, Are you talking uh, about war games? Yeah. Okay, you, 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 you defeat the Whopper in a game of tic-tac-toe, uh-huh. and that's it? Yep. I, I, that's, that's actually more <laughs> comforting than what I was laying out. I think so, yeah. Um, Rorschach... Uh-huh. I, I love his mask. His mask is an awesome effect. His mask is awesome, and it's, like, even cooler. Well, like I said, the comic, he kind of looks ridiculous in the comic. He's a guy in a London fog trench coat okay. with gloves and, like, dress shoes and a bowler hat and or a mm-hmm. fedora, whatever, and that, that mask. That's and, exactly what he looks like in the show. But the for movie. some reason in the movie, he looks way cooler. I don't know mm-hmm. whether it's just grittier and it's not as primary colory or just the art, you know... Yeah. And that goes uh, a lot of ways. Like, Night Owl looks kind of ridiculous in the comic books. He looks more like a spandex-wearing Night Owl. And this, they've, you know, Christopher nullified him, where he's actually got, like, some kind of armor that makes sense in this future battle suit that he's wearing with, like, advanced goggles and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but what I really want to talk about is this whole concept, this whole fantasy of the righteous son of a bitch. Like this person that has no social redeeming qualities, but we root on, we root him fighting on because he's purely pitched against evil characters. Okay. Like, like in the, I'm, I'm basically trying to think out why it's socially acceptable for me to to root for the carnage that's going on in the prison. He's where lesser he's, of two evils, I guess. He's 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 setting men on fire with with boiling oil. Uh, people's arms are getting sawed off. They're getting electrocuted by toilets. Yeah. They're getting bled out in bathrooms, and I'm cheering this on. I think it's a lot easier to identify the bad guys in that scenario as the prisoners and the people who we in society view as bad people. Whereas superheroes, which he, you know, he's kind of framed as, or at least he was part of that group, 
those people are people we traditionally look at and say they're good, right? Yeah. So, so, and he's got the coolest one-liners. It, it's harder to identify, I guess, why you would dislike uh, Rorschach versus why you would dislike Random Prisoner A, right, or Random Prisoner B. Like, it takes a little more thought to understand why that guy might be just as bad as the people he's fighting. Interesting. Hmm. And so it's very easy to just say, oh, prisoner, bad. Hmm. Right? So Rorschach, yeah, go, buddy. Right. Throw grease on him. Sure. Throw oil in their faces. And he's doing it in to survive the situation. Sure. Like, he's doing They're maximum. They're the antagonist. He's, <laughs> over, he's doing overkill as a way to try to prevent future brutality, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Same thing with, like, Banshee. Where I'm watching the show and I'm enjoying the hell of this guy just righteously beating the hell out of an unlimited amount of mooks. But at some point I'm like, Jesus, what the hell? Yeah, did that Amish guy really deserve to have his head cracked open? Yeah, what am I what what does this say to me as a human being that I'm deriving entertainment from this? Sure. Speaking of fighting. Yeah. I some really awesome fighting in this. There's some really great choreography and but it's so grand in realism that I find myself asking questions in it like, is it really this is it really that possible to be this badass of a fighter? Ah, okay. Like, you know, two yeah. people go into prison and wade through 30-some-odd ass- assailants. Mm-hmm. But, like, in ancient times, like, military leaders derive their, 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 their leadership abilities from their ability to survive battles and win wars and fights. Like, yeah. Genghis Khan uh-huh. killed a bunch of dudes with his own hand, his own blade... Uh, and survive these battles in kind uh-huh. of similar odds. Like, you know, if he killed 100 guys, that means 100 guys tried to kill him. That's kind of amazing, right? You could be that great of a fighter. Yeah, so I feel like a lot of that comes down to the inevitability of, like, like self-selecting, right? Like, the people who were not lucky enough to survive battles don't get talked about because they got killed in battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people who, by their skill or probably more likely by just supreme luck, are the ones who are talked about because they survived a, a huge amount of battles. Like, that's what I feel it is, like, the just the luck of the draw. Like, yeah, I'm good, and that makes me more likely to survive. And so once I've survived by luck a bunch of these things, I'm talked about as great. One of the, my favorite scenes in the movie is when uh, the uh, the Top Knot gang, the super like racist oh stereotype Chinese gang, the Chinese gang who none of them are Chinese, but they're dressed as like really offensive Chinese gangster <laughs> yeah. stereotypes. It's uh-huh. like s- South Park type meta commentary. I think that's satire. I don't. I don't really know what's going on with that gang. I don't either. Um, but. I love the fact that they there's like six of them jump him in his house, mm-hmm. and he goes like you see a, a, a oh the old night owl yeah yeah and he goes and like they cha- they play this heroic music and he like takes the fighting stance mm-hmm. and you think he's just gonna get the shit beat out of him but he actually I believe if only four of those dudes showed up instead of six he would have clean fucking house yeah and that he was goes awesome. he goes down fighting and here's where this movie is as brilliant they beat him to death with his own statue. Mm-hmm. That the plaque says ingratitude. Uh-huh. But the the angle that we see it laying there by his ruined head with the blood splashed, it also looks like it's read ingratitude. As one word. Yeah. Like the it, the absence of gratitude. Uh-huh. That's is that is that bacon gauntlet? Is that ham fisted or is that brilliant? I can't tell. I think it's sly and I like it. All right. 
Uh, I, I like those little touches like that. Uh, the other thing that it makes me question, like Night Owl, old and young, and all of the other people in this group of superheroes, what are their actual physical capabilities? Like, I thought when I first watched this the first time that the comedian was super strong. Uh, Adrian was super smart. Night Owl was just kind of a dude who had He's Batman. money. He's and, got technology. And, and a suit. Um, and... I don't know what Silk Spectre was. Maybe just a really good fighter. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, one of them is fast as well. Um, I I can't tell now. It seems like they all have superhuman strength to to a large degree. I think that you're supposed to interpret characters like, especially Adrian Vate, uh, the Ozymandias character, to be what, you know, a lot of times you refer to in comic books as peak human ability. Okay. Like he's not like the thing where he can press ten tons, but he might be able to lift deadlift five hundred pounds, which is slight. You know, whatever an Olympic deadlifter can do, he might be able to do ten percent more, even with his spindly frame. Even with his spindly frame, he's like okay. peak human ability, like not inhuman, just on that verge, and he's peak human. A, a, but they like, all seem to be as the thing. Like he's fast, but he's clearly which the best clearly of them all. Clearly a superpower. He beats them all one on one, and he beats them all in in mass because he's super fast. But the rest of them also seem to be super strong. They're punching through walls. Sure, they're you know busting people up left and right, lifting people over their heads, yeah. that kind of shit. Yeah. So they all seem to be like that. Yeah, but he's. I think it's still he's the best one because he's also super fast and super smart. Yeah, I could buy that. He's and when he's, I say super, I well, don't mean super like the Flash. I mean he's like peak. He's got the best reflexes, the best quickness. 10% tweaked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And and he's like even that much above the other guys. Except for Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. I think Dr. Manhattan's the only one that has what you would call superpowers. Yeah. Uh, and he's got like unlimited power, essentially. Yeah, and the ability In fact, to manipulate it, all matter. It seems like what holds him back is his own uh, growth in his own abilities. Like the first, it took him a, yeah. wh- a while to just reassemble himself, and then mm-hmm. he learned how he could do this. He learned how he could do that. You know, teleportation. Who, like, you know, where? When did he figure out how to do all the different things he can? Yeah. A give, given a few million years, he will be like God from the Bible, like Old Testament vengeful mm-hmm. creation God. <laughs> sure. That's another kind of interesting question to think that you know. Perhaps Dr. Manhattan yeah. created our galaxy as a remnant from a previous or uh, our universe of a remnant from previous universe. Yeah, no. And it's, <laughs> you know, in, any any sufficiently advanced race would appear as gods. Yeah. Uh, and magic. Us, sure. Like that sort of thing. Uh, that's definitely tied up in there. And Dr. Manhattan addresses that himself, I think, when he's talking about, you know, I'm not a god. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't believe there's a god, but if I am, nothing like him. Right. That sort of stuff. All right. The ending. You want to talk about the ending? I do, yeah. <laughs> do you want me to just go for it? Do it, because right. I, I think I'm going to disagree with you. So, the ending of this movie, um, everyone seems to be on board with Adrian's plan by the end of it. They're like, you did something terrible, but look what it created. It created a peace across the entire planet. No one is fighting anymore. Uh, they are all now aligned against Dr. Manhattan. In the comic it doesn't end quite so uh, black and white. 
in, in the comic, there is a moment like Adrian's plan is actually not to turn everyone against um, Dr. Manhattan, Dr. Manhattan, but to turn everyone against this giant squid that they think came from an alien race. And which looks ridiculous. Yeah. And I thought the giant squid concept was kind of dumb to begin with, but the questions it asks are still relevant. Uh, so th- th- in how the is end, that different than what the ending? No, 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 no. I'm getting okay, to that. Okay. So, in the end, uh, Ozymandias, Adrian, asks um, Dr. Manhattan, like, what I did was right, wasn't it? Like, in the end, it all worked out, didn't it? And Dr. Manhattan responds to him by saying nothing ever ends. And that leaves it very ambiguous as to whether this piece that he has created is going to be a lasting piece and whether it was even worth the deaths that he, that he brought about. Yeah. Like, did he save more people in this temporary, potentially temporary piece than he killed? Is that even the right choice to make? And in this movie, they don't they don't address that. They just blanket say, Doctor Manhattan, who is a superior intelligence, is on the side of Adrian, who is a superior intelligence, and they both think that this was a good idea. Hmm. So th- the question is answered at the end of this movie, as opposed to just asked at the end of the comic, which I think is a better ending. But yeah, okay. So I actually see where you're you're coming from. How could they have done and and we both agree the squid is ridiculous. Yeah. And I think that economy of storytelling plus just coolness of concept and how it kind of turns everything on its head. I like the Dr. Manhattan being the the false bad guy. Uh-huh. How could but I like what you just said too. How could they have altered the ending in a third way to retain the more open-natured question in the comic? but not have it be ridiculous. I just feel like they do the exact same ending where he, you know, Dr. Manhattan doesn't give him the, that satisfaction. Hmm. Like if, if they have him say, you know, get answer the exact same question in the end, wasn't it all worth it? Uh, a guy who can now see into the future and understand everything that's going to happen. Uh, if he doesn't give him that validation, I think that question is still open. But it's even we- though Dr. Manhattan is the target of everyone's well, Yeah, hatred. it's weird because Dr. Manhattan supposedly can only see his own future and his own past, so he immediately chooses to leave this plane of existence or this immediate area of space and go yeah. create life, so he doesn't have any special insight into where humanity's going, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, no, you're probably right, yeah. Because he didn't know... He doesn't know everything. Like, he, he says several times in the movie, I'm not omnipotent. Yeah, but I think... I'm that- not omniscient. Uh-huh. He like he didn't know that Lori's father was the comedian until he did that mind meld with her. Yeah. So yeah. I yeah, they could have, I guess, left that more open. Where I think they could the, have, the experience and... makes Dr. Manhattan even more resolute about being done with humanity. Yeah, and I just like the idea of leaving that question open because it's basically saying you know, by changing these events, you may not have prevented anything. Hmm. And you may, in fact, have killed a bunch of people for no reason. And, you know, if if we're to take this timeline a little more literally, mm-hmm. uh, we know that nothing ever comes of that, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't destroy the world in a nuclear holocaust. So you can even look at that and say, you know, may, maybe the alternate universe that they've set up is not the same, but we kind of know in our, in our minds that hu- humanity's sense of self-preservation did prevail there. Yeah, 
I thought you were going. See, I was all gearing up for you to. Uh, no, I fucking the squid hate the squid. Okay. No, get out of here. <laughs> well, see that. So that's a semi-controversial opinion amongst fandom. Is it? A lot Why? of people. I don't know whether some people are just. Like I've seen that with Game of Thrones, where you alter a sentence by one word and people lose their mind. Yeah, and some of them are just purists. Like there's a lot of people that don't think the Hobbit movies are long enough. Oh like they God. wish even more of the Cimmerillion oh and the God. appendix was made into it. And I'm just like, wow. So I don't get it. Uh, another unpopular opinion is that I think leaving out the Tales of the Black Freighter. Oh, that's the fictional comic book? That in... is kind of told in parallel as a meta story. Okay. Um, I feel like that's it. It's okay in the graphic novel, although I found it annoying to keep switching. Um, huh. I, I was impatient to get back to the story. Again, I read this as a teenager. Maybe I'd see it differently. Uh-huh. But I don't see how you retain the essential stuff in the Black Freighter uh, and have this movie – like this movie would not be improved by being an hour longer. Oh, no. And I also don't no. think everything that the Black Freighter brings up, the kind of questions about what it's right, what it's like, you know, what does it mean to be a hero fighting villainy? Where does the war against villainy cross into a villainy and an evil into its own? Oh, I think the comedian sums that up in large part. And like I said, you know, Adrian's uh, global eugenics and all that like those yeah, are yeah. questions that are openly asked in the film so why would we need that meta commentary in there to ask them again yeah like I'm with it, you. it's more effective as a literary device than it is as a cinema device and people that wanted that like would you literally want that interspersed like six or seven different times throughout the film like godfather style you would take a digression into that part of the black freight i'd be i just people that wanted that in the movie i just mm-hmm. don't understand Where dr manhattan goes to sicily <laughs> yes, meets his one marries true love. Apollonia, yeah. uh-huh. and then we find out Doctor Manhattan's father. <laughs> he and... explodes her all of her, but her guts in the car. And... <laughs> he busts up in her guts. What? <laughs> no, no. What? The De- Watchman's just going to be porn now in the Jim <laughs> he, Jones he remake. He detonates her. Everything but. <laughs> yeah, her guts. he does. Oh yeah, God. he does. God, get your mind out of the gutter. You've twisted my words. <laughs> <laughs> but I. That's somewhat sack. You know. Um. I, I think that's the kind of stuff that Alan Moore hates. Like, just don't, you know, it's offensive to him that you take the bare, the bones of his story and tell what you think is the most important parts of it and leave out the other stuff. Like, that would be offensive to him as a creator. Yeah, see, I get where he's going with the giant squid. The concept itself makes perfect sense. You know, unite humanity against another uh, more threatening force. It's very... But that force can be Dr. Manhattan himself, and I think it's more poignant if it is. You take what one side, which Dr. Manhattan's increasingly skeptical of, the United States, mm-hmm. uh, you, you take this one superpower and then you turn it against everyone and have them unite under the bannerhood of peace and love. Again, yeah. skeptical of what that means overall in society. Mm-hmm. And also this film is very it, – it, it fits very – it's very 9-11-y. Like especially when you when you zoom back on New York and there's a oh, giant yeah. crater in the middle of town and a rebuilding project. If you ever uh-huh. got to visit New York City while they're they're building the new Freedom Tower, it's kind of eerie the way that yeah. echoes that. You know, obviously this thing came out in the mid '80s. It was doing a satire and a different, a completely different thing. But mm-hmm. the film feels of a piece with this kind of generation as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my big question was, could this all have been a plot? for adrian to uh up his bottom line with the rebuilding project well (laughs) 
<laughs> it's an open question of how altruistic is he? Has he become yeah. the villain by the films in? Why stop here? Yeah. Why stop here? Where where do you interfere next with humanity? Sure. Like this just encourages him, right? The ending of this film just like Dr. Manhattan totally validates him and says, Yeah, me as the super superhuman being here, the godlike one, just validated everything you did. So mm-hmm. yeah, go try it again. You know, there's no incentive for him to stop. No. Everything worked out perfectly. What's your opinion on the soundtrack of this film? Because I don't trust my own... I don't feel oh, like man, I have great I love music. It. Okay, good. Because... I mean, when you got Fly the Valkyries and Bob Dylan and Simon and Garfunkel, like all these classic songs that really just lend, uh, you know, some kind of gravitas to the situations, the the superhero scenarios. But it's weird that they're using these classic, well-known hit songs, and mm. it feels like... They somehow feel like obvious choices, but not an offensive, like, maudlin, roll-your-eyes-oh-god kind of way. Yeah, you're right. They are. Like, like Forrest Gump didn't walk that line as as well. So Forrest Gump feels a lot more schmarmy and syrupy watching it huh. today than it did back when it first came out. I bet, yeah. But The Watchmen somehow manages to kind of do the same thing, but I don't know whether these did it better, whether it's a more mature and darker and kind of pessimistic film so it 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 dilutes that that kind of saccharine quality i feel like the, but i loved it i thought the soundtrack's amazing i did too I, and i think it comes down to the choice of when and how they use the music so they play the entirety of times they are changing mm-hmm. uh by bob dylan but they do it over you know yeah it is on the nose he's saying times are changing they're showing times changing yeah. they're showing these old characters and they're their new uh, ancestors uh, coming along here. I th- I think it just works really well because it's conveying so much information that you don't want exposition for. But some things like super, like I thought it was great at the end when they're playing Jimi Hendrix all along the Watchtower, uh-huh. and they synchronize some of his crazy guitar bins with the crash of was is this out called the Archimedes? I don't know. Um, but anyway, this, this thing's crashing and they somehow synchronized that to some of the crazy guitar bins and stuff he's doing. And I'm mm. just like, oh my God, this is so cool and awesome. But also it's, how does it not come across as cheesy? I don't know because you're synchronizing they... a car crash to this guitar solo mm-hmm. or not a guitar crash, a, a spacecraft crash. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how that doesn't come across as ridiculous. I feel like there's a lot know. of viewers. It just worked for me. There's 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 got to be like a ten percent maybe more viewers out there where everything that we're saying falls onto the right side. Yeah, there's got to be people that are like hate this movie. Oh yeah, for all of its excess and all of its on the nose and all that stuff. And I don't, you know, I, I mean, I think I'm right, but <laughs> obviously, or you wouldn't be saying it. I, I I don't know that I have an answer. Like, there's not you're not wrong if you this doesn't hit your sweet spot. I feel like that's what this podcast has become us. Asking a lot of questions without answers because of the nature of the movie. But that's why it's great. I know. I know. That's why I love it. And, that's and it why managed think... to be very entertaining at the same time. Yeah, it's one of my favorite superhero movies of all time. I Like, after having seen it the second time, I can firmly say that. It, answer, it asks questions that most superhero movies don't even bother to think about. Yeah, I mean, for me, you've got, like, some combination of... It's like the, the Holy Trinity. Like, you've got the, the, the Dark Knight... You've got Iron, the first Iron Man and the Watchmen. And they're like this yeah. tr- just trinity. Like Iron Man is super fun. 
dark man or yeah. Batman is super gritty and like realistic and what a yeah. superhero would probably be in the real world. Sure. And the and Watchmen's got the social consciousness. They ask some vigilante justice questions in sure. Batman, um, but not to this degree. Yeah. Uh, and then you got stuff like Superman, which is a little more fun of a romp than Superman's more true. Stuff. Although I don't. Superman is more, and I'm talking about the original, like the uh, yeah, Christopher Reeve, the Donner ones, mm-hmm. is more true to like what the Golden Age Superman was all about. Yeah, this Paragon of Justice, and that's about it. I mean, that's the post comic comics code alliance and the post Golden and Silver Age comics is all about this gritty, pessimistic view because there was so much Pollyanna shoved down her throat. This is a reaction to that. Yeah. From you can I make hear, an entertaining film that's that's representative of that golden age as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, by the what was it, the eighties? Superman came out, or was that the seventies? No, no, no. Maybe it was seventy nine. I want to say the first one might have been in the seventies. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I think it was seventy nine. Maybe it was eighty one. But yeah, I I like those Superman seventy eight. Some seventy eight when the first one came out. Nice. You will believe a man can fly, Jim Jones. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I get to talk about. Yeah, I'm 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 I feel like it's kind of sputtering to an end. Uh thanks again to Andrew for commissioning this podcast. Uh you have impeccable taste in movies, sir. Yep. Uh two feel free two. to commission as many as you want. <laughs> he's setting us up. He's he's got the rope well, he, of dope. He said he's going to get all 9 of the Star Wars movies. So Holy shit, that's a life that's, that's a that's a man's life work. Yeah, hopefully over like the next 9 years we can get those in, but uh we got some more great ones coming out. I'm very excited yeah. about the, what's the lineup coming out? Uh, we've got quite the pipeline right now. Yeah, we've got The Watchmen, uh, Big Lebowski. Oh, my God. A History of Violence, The Deer Hunter. Great, oh, my God. I mean, there's so much good stuff coming out. Um, and others. And others. A lot of stuff being commissioned. Uh, if if someone wants to commission a podcast, how do they do that, Aaron? Uh, go to subbable.com slash bald move. Or if you can't spell that or get to it, go to support.baldmove.com. It's one of the options. Okay. And uh, there is a option at the very top level to uh, commandeer bald move and have us talk about whatever you want. Yep. Uh, we also have something cool. We've we've had some people ask how to crowdsource. And that's hard because we don't have a we don't have any kind of in-house technology that allows people to like like you get 20 of your best friends or 10 of your friends or whatever to chip in to do a commission podcast. But what we're doing is holding votes in the VIP section of our forums. Mm-hmm. And we're having right now a runoff. You go to forums.baldmove.com where you can uh, vote on what the most popular community source options. And we're going to take the top 10 derived from this vote, throw them up on subable so people can fractionally back them until we hit the level that they get produced. Yeah. And there's a lot of great, uh, a lot of great stuff that's uh, being uh, uh, put up there right now. So yeah, we'll probably we know, be doing that the rest of January and maybe a little bit into February, and then we'll close it, put the top ten in, and start uh, whacking away at them. Yeah, it's all in subable. So go to support.baldmove.com to find out. Again, thanks so much, Andrew. You've yeah, made yet you. another awesome Friday bald move office experience. Yep. Uh, thank you so <laughs> much for your support. It's very cool of you to do that. Hope everyone enjoys the podcast. And uh, we'll be back with more next week. See you next time. Bye-bye. There must be some kind of way.